and welcome and happy Tuesday. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. I'm David Cooper. This is the show where no one's listening. No one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. Today, someone very special to me. I've worked with them. I've been on commercial radio with them. My last real job I originally got from filling in for his radio show. He is a broadcaster. He is a talent. He is a friend. His name is Jim Richards, and he hosts News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. All right, so here he is, Jim Richards. Let's jump right the fuck in. You handsome motherfucker. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Too vulgar? Too vulgar? No, that's fine. I can tell you have Zoom dysmorphia. You're just staring at your own picture, adjusting your hair. Yeah. I, well, I wasn't doing... Yes, I was. Well, I, I was touching my hair, but I wasn't adjusting it. <laughs> but yes, I was looking at me. But it's not that much of a difference. I feel like you're having a handsome day, Jim. I feel like you're having a handsome period, like the last six months for you, getting more handsome. My mustache, I think, has changed the way I looked at life. <laughs> Are women throwing themselves at you? No, not at all. I don't go out to find out, but uh, no. Answer is no. Is it because you're not drinking that you don't go out? Well, it's, you know, I, uh, I don't get home till, I don't get out of there till about 11.15, 11.30. There's nothing going on. Friday nights is kind of a bit of a write-off. And then I just feel like I was exhausted on Saturday and George wanted to, George wanted me to just come over to his house and we were going to like just shit to sh shoot the shit and sit in a hot tub. And I was like, eh, I just fucking get tired after 10 minutes in a hot tub and I want to go home. <laughs> I'm not going to drive across the city to go in a hot tub with another dude. Are those no glasses? Um, no, they, I bought them a few years ago and they were too loud. Like I didn't like, they're women's sunglasses. They're huge women's sunglasses that I popped out the, um, the fucking, what do you call it? Sunglass lenses and then got prescription lenses in them. A couple of mine are like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then I came home and I, after I got them, I'm like, what have I done? These are too crazy. And I never wore them. I never liked them. And then maybe six months ago, I'm like, you know what? They're not too crazy. And so I've been wearing them. They're not too crazy. I, I've, I, I felt that way about my, uh, my, I bought some huge ones too. They're, you know, that I go to the cheap places. And so it's all like all when I, so when I, when I buy the frames, I just see the frames. And then because I'm in the algorithm of being on that site, I get marketed and I was like, oh, those are my frames. And it's like, an, they're all attractive black women wearing the frames that I've bought. Is that what you're, you're going for? For that look or for you trying to attract that demographic? That's, yeah, all of the above. Why, when I'm on your show, it doesn't feel like this? Right now, it feels like we're just shooting the shit. When I'm on your show, it feels like there's pressure to, to get some content. But it always feels like it's the last thing you get to or the last thing your producer gets to. Like finding scraps. Are we doing the show right now, by the way? Yeah, we're doing the show. Although if you don't like anything. All right. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think that we do do that. I mean, I do find whatever we haven't talked about or fun topics I'll put aside for when you and I talk. 
But sometimes it's like we've had some of the worst segments and some of the best segments. But <laughs> when it when it uh, doesn't work, it's just a, it's a nightmare. It's terrible. It's like I want to hide under a rock. But when it does, I think it's like probably some of the best stuff. Am I an embarrassment to you sometimes, Jim? No, not at all. I'm, I'm very grateful that you come on. But uh, and I don't expect you to do any work. But uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's it's whatever I have. It's either going to hit or miss. And you know what? None of it's ton scraper or uh, toe fungus. I know I go back to that all the time, but, you know. This show, it seems to be my anal fissures uh, is something that comes up a lot, which I feel like is a little too blue for your show. Do I know that one? Well, no, I just six, seven, eight months ago, who knows how long ago, I went to the doctor and I was complaining about a little bit of blood in my stool. She's like, you've ever done a rectal exam? I'm like, no. And loving it? What? No. Well, no, I, I don't do butt stuff because it hurts. Uh, and so she gives me one and uh, she's like, you have a fissure. I don't even know what that means. It's like a crack in your in your rectum. Is this a, I'm worried. You're, see, I'm always worried that you think I make you look bad. No, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I'm, we're not on the radio right now. I, it doesn't bother. Yeah, me. but this will be out there with your name on it. And I'm always like, oh, shit. Oh, I don't care. OK. Do I care? Like what? Like you have a medical problem. It's my fissure. You have a medical problem. I do. And so she, and then I got tested for Crohn's and stuff and I, you know, and celiac and all that, but uh, it hasn't healed. And so the, the, the treatment, which I've been avoiding doing, they sort of let it heal for three or four months. And if it doesn't, they inject, there's a few things they can try, but the first thing is they inject Botox into your butthole to try to get it to heal. Okay. Well, what part of this is really gross? Like I, I'm not grossed out by it at all. It sounds like a medical problem. I'm just saying that is something you're, you're talking about toe scrapers and fungus. And I'm saying on this show, it seems to be the anal fissure is the, is the topic of conversation. Okay. And if people do not know, when David started doing the show uh, with me, he was like, I could talk about toe fungus for hours. So we did it. And David went about three minutes. Uh, same thing with tongue scrapers. <laughs> yeah, but that three minutes is good at, at any night. Okay, so so is this painful or is it just uh, troubling when you when and Oprah says we all have to look at her stool? Is it just tr like troubling, like you're concerned? Is it something really bad, or if it's it's just a, like a painful thing to live with? It's a painful thing to live with, but it was very concerning when I first was worried about it because blood in your stool is terrifying. I later found out that if it's bright red, that's a good thing. It means it's like a fissure, a polyp, a hemorrhoid. It's near the outside. It's when it's like black or dark brown, it's blood from deep in your intestines. And so if you're like have an ulcer or cancer or something horrible, the blood is not bright red. This is what I learned. So bright red blood in your stool is probably fine. I'm not a doctor though. Okay, why is it called a fissure? Because it's a crack, like you know a, a fissure, like an earthquake when the earth ruptures? Oh, okay. Yeah, a fissure, fissure, it's a crack in your sphincter. Oh, it's not spelt like fisherman. No, F-I-S-S-U-R-E, I think, Fish, Fisher. Oh, uh, okay. I, was, I didn't know. Okay, you were saying when I came on the show. Let's talk about that. Three years ago? It would have been April of 2021. Must have been. It was in the middle. I know it was in the middle of, not in the middle of the pandemic. I know it was in the pandemic. Here's where I was coming at. I had just quit my job. I had been put in touch with your former boss, uh, Mike. We can name him. Are you afraid to say his name? No, I'm not afraid to say his name at all. I'm, I have a good relationship with him. Um, I am. 
No, I'm kidding. Well, I, th- I consider him a friend. I consider him a friend too. Uh, and I was just in talks with him to get a show on uh, 1010 where you work. Um, I don't know how he decided that. I, I had sent him a demo. I had met with him a few times. He gave me some really good advice. Before I quit my job, I said, look, you've hired people like me. How do I go from where I'm at to on the air? And his answer was, I don't know, which I loved because it showed that there is no like. It's an honest answer. Yeah. And it shows there's no like predetermined path. You don't go to journalism school and intern and this and that. Everyone who gets on the air, it's a different path. And even someone who's put people on the air doesn't know what the script is because there isn't one, which I kind of liked. And so we were in talks for me to be on overnights. And then Bell did a bunch of layoffs and then they put you in that show. And then a few months later, Mike's like, why don't you just work with Jim? Which was a much better idea for me because at the time I had no experience. If they had given me that show, I would have died. It would have been interesting though. It would would have been great. I would have, I'd be face down in the fucking East River. (laughs) I was probably the Manhattan Bridge is where I jumped because I love that bridge. If they had given me that show, because I did that show for a year, which I want to talk about. But, and that was after being on the air with you for like six months. Yeah. And really starting to learn what being on the air was. I couldn't have done it. It was too much for me for the year that I did it with a little bit of experience. Yeah. I mean, when you came in, you were like, oh, I don't prepare. I'm just this genius who just talks. <laughs> no, I didn't say I'm this genius. I just said I really like. Okay. I get it. But. And the way I'm like listening it is like, okay, this guy thinks he's like a genius in that, you know, even people like Howard Stern doesn't sound like he prepares, but probably one of the most prepared guys around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that, at least they have like a path of where they're going. They don't know where the hell it's going to go. I know that now, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have notes for you. We looked you up on People AI, which is a very reputable website. And apparently your net worth is $327 million, according to a website that summarized your Wikipedia using AI. Really? Wow. AI's got a lot of work to do. I know. But I'm saying I did research for this. Did you do this research or did your producer, Danny, do the research? Uh, Bit of column A, bit of column B. Does she do research for you? A little bit. I mean, mostly she just books guests, sends me stories and stuff. Um, Okay. And then I pay her, but not, not nearly enough. And I apologize for that, Danny. Back to, okay, so I'm in talks to get this job. Bell does layoffs. You, they put you in that slot. They do some reorganization. Obviously, they take it off the table for me because you are more qualified, more talented for a million reasons, which I now see. Well, qualified. Let's put qualified down, yeah. And back to the off-the-cuff stuff. The best interviews you're prepared for and you don't use the prep. Mm. But what the prep does is it prevents the worst interviews where <laughs> the off-the-cuff isn't working. <laughs> And then that's that's my opinion on prep, which I've come to see. And I remember being lectured many years ago when I was doing radio as a hobby by someone who is better than me and I looked up to. And they're like, you know, your show does have a format, even though you think it doesn't. Yeah. And he starts listing all the things that I do every show. And he's like, you say you're unprepared and everything's off the cuff, but like you have a format. Here is your format. Whether you think you're preparing or not, you are prepared uh, so not having a format isn't a real thing. You can pretend and perform like you have no pro- format, but I, obviously I learned these things in that six months working with you. So when I came and I was like, I don't prepare, you were like, fuck this guy? Was that the initial? No, I, w- I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. I was I, not like, hey, let's hang him out. I'm not, not really in a let's hang it out to dry things. Like, okay, this could be fun. This should be fun. 
And then, uh, you know, we're on the road and there's, you know, we keep driving into dead ends. <laughs> I thought we had fun doing that really late slot. No, we did. We had a lot of fun. After about a month of doing it, I was heavily prepared for it is all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but there were, there were times where, you know, I think you thought you were prepared and then, you know, stuff didn't go anywhere. We kind of needed another off ramp or another, you know, another avenue to get to point B. I'd have on my prep sheet for 40 minutes of airtime just the word tongue fungus and yeah it wouldn't be enough you're right it's a toe fungus i know your stuff better than you do <laughs> no I was, it's like when people say it's not rocket surgery i was intentionally you know to be oh okay sorry about that david i didn't know no it's okay it's the genius yeah no yeah that is that is the genius yeah and then after six months you got put on like a like a evening show or afternoon show and now you're on the evening show and then they kind of gave me that job but i'm not sure i ever actually had that job you know i was kind of filling in for a full calendar year well i wasn't i wasn't really i was filling in too right until they decided what they wanted to do in the afternoons and so i think until that point they were getting you to fill in for me until they figured out what they wanted to do and yeah it was a bit of a no man's land for about six months it was a year for me because you stepped away for you did six months on air in the no man's land and then you took six months Stepping away, which we don't have to talk about, we can, doesn't matter. I mean, you've talked about it, but you took a, I guess, a leave of absence or something like that? Yeah, I took a bit of a, I've been there about 25 years. I took a bit of a, what do they call it? It wasn't a sabbatical, it was a mental health leave. But I don't, you know, if I feel like people are going to get, oh, I really want to get deep into it, I, uh, no, I just took a sabbatical. But yeah, it was a mental health leave. So that was six months plus the six months of, you doing the kind of filling in so for me it was a year of filling in you did a whole year of it wow yeah november to uh, november it was wild yeah it felt like a real job i got paid like a real job but it was like every week i had to renegotiate whether i had the job until they finally i think they kept it as long as they did like to be nice to me i don't have any ill will towards them but it, it did feel like it was it was a real job even though it was filling in for a year yeah well, that was great experience no it was i mean it got me to do this terrible podcast so i mean we're it's a brilliant podcast it's not have you listened you, you have <laughs> i have listened to i listened to the first couple thank you and oh i like it i mean you're really you're you very unique and you're very funny thank you jim and it's uh, honest, honestly like the favorite stuff that i uh the favorite stuff that i'm doing right now i would say is like the stuff that i'm doing with you right now um, like I like all of the other stuff, but um, it's just fun and it's not a hassle to do the segments that you do when you come on, when you come on, if you come on uh, Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. I'm kidding. The pay is not there, Jim. So it's like, wh what can I? I took it very seriously on air with you for six months back in April of 2021. David, I'm joking. I came prepared. I mean, not for the first month, but the, the next five months, I came very prepared. Yeah. You know, we did an hour. I took it seriously. I treated it like a job, even though it wasn't. And then it turned into a job. Now it's just like, okay, I'm, it's just, uh, it's nice to do it. It's nice to, nice to be on commercial radio. It's nice to get a little advertising for this show. But it's hard to justify like, okay, if I get invited out to a show to cancel it. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, a hundred percent. I know. And I've, I've told you that too. I'm just busting your chops. No, it's it's good. And it seems like you want to have me on earlier now. So I think I better be a little more polished. Well, do you want to be on earlier? Yes, absolutely. But I feel like something happens at 10 p.m. in radio where it just gets more loosey-goosey. And so if you're going to have me on at 930, I, I got to be prepared. No, no, it'll be the same. 
it'd be the same. The idea is it, is for it to be the same. But yeah, you know, I get I get what you're saying. I just want to. Uh, I don't even know if we have to have this uh, on the air, but I'm like doing a four hour show now, and there's a way to do a three hour show and package it as a four hour show. Oh, I know that. I, I know <laughs> that. Uh, I having previously done a five hour show, which was a two hour show packaged into five hours by the end of it, uh, as as encouraged by management, which was wild to me. The person who put the idea that you can re-roll stuff in my head was my boss, <laughs> uh, which I was like, whoa, I can just do that. You know, just do a really good three-hour show and then repackage that last hour or whatever. Okay, so that gets you to now you're doing, do you like doing evenings or? I do like doing evenings. It's a lot of fun. You know, uh, it, radio's changing a lot right now. And the one thing that I'm uh, having a hard time with trying to figure out how to do it is getting the phone calls. Uh, it's a little more of a passive listenership so that i'm trying to figure out because i do think that i'm right now doing too much of like an interview wheel of just the big stories of the day and i don't feel like i'm doing a good enough job being unique and being me and what has either hasn't worked for me or has worked for me for the years that i've been at 1010 which is over about 26 years now jesus and so uh yeah i'm just trying to Trying to figure it out right now because I've got I, I want to get it back to a place where it was like something that I I used to do, but um, there's just and you know what I haven't given it a shot. I've just played it safe by doing interviews and not kind of like sometimes relying on calls. When you pick a very creative topic, the the callers don't work for you, so they're not going to be maybe as creative as you want them to be. But at the same time, I haven't really groomed or developed that crowd because sometimes going out on that tight wire, not knowing what you're going to get, it's it's safer to just plan an interview, right? Yeah, no, totally. I, I remember begging for calls at 1 a.m., which was wildly more probably more difficult than doing it at 7 p.m., but even still difficult at 7 p.m. Yeah, so there's like I mean, there's a responsibility I have to do kind of like a to do the news between seven and nine, which we're trying to do. But I'd like to uh, have a little bit more fun with it, and then maybe after nine o'clock, do some different stuff for about an hour, uh, you know, and have a little more fun in that time slot. Is there pressure to do the news between seven to nine, or is that what you want to be doing, or a bit of both? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of the format. It's a bit of yeah, it, it is. I wouldn't like I wouldn't call it pressure. But it is the format of what that show is supposed to be. It's called News Talk Tonight. It's not, <laughs> it's not called Screw Around Tonight. I mean, if they, changed, if they called me into the office and said, listen, I think it's going to be Screw Around Tonight. I think that's what we're going to do. Uh, I would be like, okay, I can do that. But it is called News Talk Tonight. So, yeah, we uh, want to get some – we want to kind of sum up the day's news and get to some of the, uh, you know, the bigger stories and – explain a bit of how the world is working to people and then we want to move on and have some fun to the offbeat well you could like do seven to eight hardcore news eight to nine offbeat you know like john oliver style daily show style and then nine to ten is when the wackadoodle stuff and me come out yeah exactly that's what we'd like to uh start to do so we're doing it differently this week where you know some of the produ producers are starting a little earlier so they can get out a little earlier. I don't know how much exciting this is for anybody else, but yes. No, I mean, you're, to me, you're exciting. I owe me sitting right here, which I know is a joke in and of itself, but I know everything I've done in the last three years, you've played a huge role, either working with me directly, rooting for me from the sidelines, 
uh, me learning from you, me getting advice from you. So I don't know, your career is interesting to me. Well, no, I, yeah, well, there, I, I'm sure there's a couple of people there, George and Mike probably as well, and, and Jeff and uh, that stuff. But I, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I wouldn't have you on three nights a week if I wasn't. So thank you. Also, I got to be honest with you. I do. I'm very selfish when I have you on because I do have a lot of fun when I have you on. So thank you. It is. It's a. It's a blast for me to. Uh, and I know I'm always busting your chops, but it is. A, I think you like that too. But it is a blast for me to have you on. Yeah. No, I do. I. I mean, this show is called "This Is Going Well," comma. I think you know. I mean, it's built into the shtick, the vibe, you know. But I, yeah, I like messing around. I like when people insult me. <laughs> uh, I remember. I don't know why, but this one person used to text into my show this show I was filling in for for a year at 1010. And he used to be like, why is David Spade sounding Jewish and not funny tonight? They just kept on making creative insults about how I sounded like David Spade, which I kind of see, I guess. But I feel like my voice has more dynamics than him. Yeah, I guess you've got that a lot. And uh, it had to be pointed out to me. No, maybe maybe I did hear it initially, but yeah. And did you, were you kind of internalizing? Is this guy... Is this guy joking or is this guy serious? I like when people are mean and joking. Like there was, there was this one guy, Robin Lachine. Does he still text your show every now and again? I think he does, yeah. Yeah, he was so mean, but it was like funny. It, you could tell it was like loving, you know? Okay, that's good. And that he was listening. I, don't, I, n- I never took the mean stuff to heart because it's like, okay, you tuned into the whole thing. And you're saying mean shit about the play-by-play for what just happened in the last 10 minutes and why you didn't like it. You were an active listener, dude. You're like, you know, if we're selling ads based on the number of listeners, you're like, we're making money off you. (laughs) You are engaged. It's hard to be angry when people are engaged. For me, it hurts more when no one. When no one is texting. Yeah, 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 I hear you on that. I don't know if you're the same or does the mean stuff ever get to you? Uh, No, what happens? Yes, no. Uh, when I know it's funny and I know it's well intended, it doesn't bother me at all. But sometimes when, you know, I don't want to sound mean about the mean stuff, but like sometimes when it's, if I'm talking about something political or something like that and somebody's mean, I'm like, okay, who is the person right now who would disagree with, uh, with what I just said? Do you know what I mean? Like who, who is that person? And why would I care about that person why would it give that person any energy if it's something like i don't know lgbtq rights or something like that and somebody's coming at me because of it i'm like who who am i arguing with why would i want to give that person any time or if it's like i don't know black lives matter or something like that and they're they're coming at me uh, about something i said i'm like okay what or, or trump like i get a lot of stuff about trump even though i don't talk about trump that much anymore uh you you get really hateful stuff and then you're like okay who is that person like uh, like why would you give that person any any credibility or any power and you know what in any part of life why would you like if you really the truth is that if you're really into what you're doing and you really believe you're on the right path like that you wouldn't listen to anybody sometimes that's hard but yeah that's where your mindset should be I do worry, this is what my therapist tells me, that I like intellectually know something. Like I hear you intellectually saying, why would I care about that? Here are the reasons. But then there's like the thing underneath it, which is like, oh, I'm not saying you do, but it could be you actually do care. It does bother you. Well, yeah. Um, 
it depends, right? If, if you're having a good day, and I think everybody might know what I'm talking about, if you're having a good day where your like, mental health is really great and you're in a groove, you don't give a shit about what anybody says. Excuse my language, David. But, but you know, if you're having like a day where, you're, like, where your confidence isn't there or something like that, and then you start getting that stuff, like that, I think, I don't, I think that's just human that it would bug you. But I always try to stand back and go, okay, who is the person who is disagreeing with let's have some empathy for somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who, is, who is that person and why do you ultimately care? But yeah, you're right. I mean, depending, one day uh, somebody could say one thing to me and the next day somebody could say, hey, how you doing? And I could be like, yeah, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, have a nice day. Oh, what do you mean by that? For me, it's like I can't control my initial response to these things, but I can control how much I engage with that response. So, like, I don't let myself dwell on it. I read it, it hurts. Did you have to get to that place? I I mean, that's through a lot of therapy. That's through that trigger of, like, okay, I I had a bad impulse. I responded to something badly that I shouldn't. I let somebody occupy space in my head who I shouldn't because they're a piece of shit. Or, like, they just hate liberals, and so I said something that indicated I was a liberal. So it was just they were trying to make a dig at at me and my beliefs, but not they don't really like or dislike me. They don't really care about me. They just hate people who like gay people or, you know, that kind of stuff, like you're saying. I don't think we have a choice for, like, the impulse, but I do think we have a choice how much we engage with it. It is. It's 100%. Well, first of all, <laughs> if I said what I wanted to say sometimes on the text board back to people, I probably wouldn't have a job, right? <laughs> well, saying nothing, I think, is the best way to deal with it. Yeah. And that takes a lot. But, you know, some of the things that people will say to, and I got to say people of at our station, when you're a female host or when you're a person of color, Ugh. they get it the worst. But that's everywhere. Have you looked at YouTube comments? Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, it's in real time. And it's hard to keep your mind on a show when somebody's like done that. And I've looked at other hosts, you know, comments. And I want to like reach through the phone. And start fighting somebody. Of course. But that's the reaction they want. If you respond and say, you fuckhead, like that's going to give them joy. It's sure. They're lonely, small, little. Like who fucking texts a radio station, racist, homophobic, uh, anti-women stuff? Like it's insane. Like who is sitting at their phone doing that? Yeah, exactly. I got to say that sometimes I'm like at home or I'm in the car and like I'm listening to the station and Jerry's on. And I will text the station and I will text him something. Like It's not mean or anything, but I'll just disagree with him. And he's reading everybody's text but mine. It sometimes makes me wonder if my uh, phone line is blocked. <laughs> the station has blocked me. Yeah. I got to say, though, like, uh, it's just I think it's my ADHD, too. It's I don't not look at the texts because of that. And I'm, I'm not very good. I don't look at them a lot. I say to my producer, hey, if you see something that's relevant to what we're talking about, uh, you know, pop it up on the screen or maybe try to contact that person to see if you can get them to call in. If it's like really going to add something, mm-hmm. because I am like, even if things are good, like even if all the comments are good, like I got a show to do. Right. And, and too often I'm like, you know, a squirrel seeing a shiny thing. And let's say people like what's going on. I'll be like, oh, people are really liking this. And I'll, like, I'll keep doing it. Maybe I'll do it too long because I'm playing to, they used to say a long time ago, like 1% of your audience calls in. And so if you're playing to the people who will call in, 
you're probably not doing the job that you should that you should be doing or you're just playing to the text board you're probably not doing the show for the greater audience because it's not really a barometer and people on the air far too often look at the the phone calls that they're getting or the texts that they're getting as an applause meter which it's not at all no well if you're what you're trying to do is get an opinion on a current event on like a real structured topic I agree that you're only playing to that 1%. But if what you're trying to do really is showcase the phone call interactions and do something weird, deep, fun, I think it shifts a bit where the content can be more about, like if you do a real wacky topic where people are saying things that push their own boundaries, like maybe sex stuff, maybe weird stuff that they've never talked to, I think there is a way where the topic is those conversations, even though it's the 1% of people calling in. But when it's like, here's what happened in parliament, here's what happened in Congress, what's your opinion? Yeah, I agree, that's like, you're not engaging. You're only, you're not engaging that 99%. Well, most of the, yeah, most of the comments on that are, it's amazing that I uh, will get liberal people hating on me because I don't like Justin Trudeau. And I'll also get conservative people hating on me because I don't like Pierre Polyette. But yeah, you're, you know, you also have to keep in mind that you're only probably going to get opinions from the extremes on a lot of topics. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I find sometimes the texts are really interesting because if you have like a creative topic going on, it might be harder for the phone, for the call screener or the producer to go through like 10 bad phone calls. It's easier to skim through 10 bad text messages and come up with the funny ones than it is to go through 10 bad phone calls and come up with the good ones. It's just, it's just not going to take as much time. Right. Agreed. But if what you're trying to do is get a political opinion, I, I, to me, those phone calls suck. Like, yeah. And, and when I listen to them, it's other hosts doing them. It's like the hosts either just talk over the people or the people are not really weighing in. They got some agenda. They, they really care about something to the point where they're willing to talk, sorry, to call in, not because they necessarily have an interesting opinion. It's pretty rare that I've heard a political commentary phone-in segment where it goes well. Yeah, I think people would rather hear, with due respect to Joe and Scarborough, they'd rather hear from the expert than, you know, caller three, Joe and Scarborough, and, you know, Larry. Fucking Joe. Fuck that guy. Do that. <laughs> So back to the mean stuff, what does, is there stuff that gets to you or is it like if you're just in a shit mood that day, it can be little things? I think it's just a shit mood. Yeah. If you're in a shit mood, I think almost anything can get to you. When I'm in a shit mood and I perform, I think the performance is terrible. I think the interview is terrible. I think whatever I did is terrible. And then when I'm in a great mood and I record or I do live work, I think it's fucking amazing. I think it's gold. I think it's like, are you right though? Never, <laughs> never. And so I wonder, do you ever listen back? Like you had the shittiest day and someone said some small comment. Maybe you didn't even address it, but that comment, you couldn't even get it out of your head and you're fixated on it. Dude, I hate listening. As much as I want other people to listen, I hate listening back to my show because I just hear all the ADHD and I hear the like get to the freaking point and it probably would help me a lot and I probably should do it. But I know that I can tell a, somebody could tell a 30 second story and I can tell it in about five minutes. Well, sometimes you need to do that because you've got to fill the fucking time. 
every single detail in there. Yeah, no, but sometimes I'm just setting up an interview. And I will say the interview setup will be seven minutes and the interview will be three minutes. I've been on the air with you when that happens, where I'm like, I, I tell you I want to say something and you like set it up. And then by the time I really get into what I want to say, there's the break coming at us. Is that right? It's happened. Sorry. Is this one little comment that's going to set you off? <laughs> it's happened maybe one in a hundred times, Jim. Don't. This is not a common thing you do. Yeah, I know. I think it is a common thing I do and I need to get better at it. That's why recently I've been just trying to like, play a little clip from the news blurb that does all of that. And then I'll just come off of that and start the interview rather than me reenacting everything. If you do or don't do it, I don't know. From me saying you've done it, this is not an indictment. You mostly don't do it. This is not a, a tick or a bad habit of yours. It just has happened and you brought it up. But I do think I do think I can, um, I do think there's so much to learn from listening to yourself. And I know that I haven't done it enough in my career. I do it. Uh, I used to hate it. You just get used to it. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't called me out for using a toothpick in this interview yet. Um, no, if there's grit in your teeth, I don't want to talk to you when there's disgusting shit in your teeth. Get that shit out of your teeth. This interview deserves better than dirty teeth, Jim. I'm glad you're using your fucking toothpick. It's this gelled one. It's not like a, you know, these gelled ones. They're great. Yeah, the soft picks, the gum soft picks, dude. I, I use those because I have a dental retainer thing and I can't get in there with the floss. Well, they say that you're supposed to floss and use these things. I just use these things. I don't know. Like, what is the flossing going to do that these things don't do? It breaks the bond between the teeth, disrupts the bacteria that's growing between the teeth. Look at my teeth. I got I got so much room between the teeth. Yeah, but that's just your front teeth. What about those back molars, Jim? Uh, they're, they're still pretty uh, close. Anyway, what were we talking about before I started? <laughs> um, one little thing setting us off. Oh no! And I then, just, I, and then, I no, just, no 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 no! Let me let me set it up. I want to get back. I had a point I wanted to get to. See, I don't do this enough on your show. Just scream at you, but I guess it's your show, so you're in charge. Please do. It's having a sh the shit feeling inside where the little thing sets you off, and you feel like you can't even focus, but you do the work anyway. I mean, you might you might not even address the little thing. You get through the interview. You get through the segment. For me, you get through the podcast. Get through the interaction. But in your head, you're like, this was the worst thing I ever did. I can't believe that went out. And then you listen back to it or the you're in total flow mode. Everything's easy. Everything's great. Everything's off script. But for me, when I listen back to those two things, how I felt about it has very little correlation to how it was. And so listening r really helps me figure out there are interviews where I'm like, wow, that was actually okay. I thought I shouldn't even put this out there, but it actually was kind of insightful. And then there's things where I think they're so amazing. I want to like, you know, make an Instagram. I want to like, this is my new demo. And then I listen to it. I'm like, oh, that went fucking nowhere. And it's only through listening do I realize that. And I guess my question for you is going to be, have you had that experience, but you're telling me you don't listen enough to your shit. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, no, I don't listen. I do know that there are times where I'd be like, oh man, clip that for me because I want to get a, I want to clip something out of that, make it a promo. And then I get it and I'm listening back and I go, what the hell did I think was so fucking great about this? And it just goes on and it's meandering and it's me not coming to a point. So yeah, but there are, but um, I think the other thing that I was going to say about, yeah, I, 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 it drives me crazy listening because I, I know that I um and ah a lot and I just seem to pick those segments where I um and ah the hell out of my, uh, whatever. But I've done, like recently I've done things where I'm like, what the fuck was that? Because I do a weekly ask anything, and we were kind of like running out of like really unique professions and or hobbies. 
And I did, uh, okay, and I hope he's, I, this guy contacted me and he said he's the guy who works on the side of the road, road like late at night. I was like, okay, maybe there's like funny, not funny stories of drunk drivers hitting them, but maybe there's all sorts of crazy people you meet out on the road late at night and things you find on the side of the road and all sorts of different things. And uh, it was like, it was just the worst interview. We had nothing to say. And like, there was no, there was no stories. And I did the same one with ask a plumber, anything. I thought there would be all sorts of great different, well, uh, stuff that you would find that people tried to flush down the toilet, like different things that you'd find in clogs or rings or clo- items of clothing that people tried to flush. And there was none of that either. It's like, Jesus. And, um, but most of the times when I've had, like, I've, I've recently had some like really gone on the air in such a bad mood because things may have happened. Um, and uh, I, it's almost after a while that I feel like, you know, especially, you know, when I, w- when I was depressed, like I'm thinking like about 15, maybe even 20 years ago, I was like, I didn't even know what anxiety was. And I remember, I remember like driving to the station, like just crying and not knowing why, not knowing what the hell it was. And um, I remembered in that time, it's like, and it's true. Like everybody's like, well, why aren't you, why don't you, you know, why aren't you funny? And I was like, I, I don't even know that I ever was funny. If let's say, if people thought it was funny, I think you're funny. I just remember that you do something long enough and you have those reps that it's like working on an assembly line. Mm-hmm. And I was like programming, like, you know, topic, outrage, phone calls, next topic, outrage phone calls with no personality and i'm not really even there so yeah i've had that before i wonder if you listened back to those versus the times where you felt like you were in a good space if they'd sound terribly different because you say it's got this assembly line vibe so the days where you're doing shit and the days where you're doing great is it really that much different the output the product yeah i think so you know ultimately i i get the point of hey you thought that was great and then you listen to it and then you're like eh. or you thought that was awful and you listen to it and you go oh it was better than i thought i get that and i do think it's true but i think overall when you know that you shit the bed you probably it's like it's like five out of five amber herds you know <laughs> you shit the bed that's my, my point yeah no no i know i got that she shat the bed that's the um past tense there's there's one trick that I've had. It's like I don't know if it's like meditating before the show, but there's one t- trick that I've just like if I'm in a bad mood, blah blah blah. The best thing for me to do is, and I wish I did this more often, but I've had really good shows because I've just figured like, okay, where how have you gotten here? How have you gotten here that you're in this bad mood? And it's usually because you're worrying about something that you have no control over. And you've built up this kind of like frustration and or anxiety that you just feel whatever because you've been dwelling on this one thing. And I have been in like, I've done this a lot where and I need to remember it more often because I've just like done shows where I'm like, okay, what, what is the best thing to do right now? Wallow in this or to just not give a shit? and put it into don't give a shit mode and just go 
And I've found that that's kind of my, my way out of it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the most fun show, but it is kind of like nothing I can do about it. And let's, let's just go and kind of like go crazy. If that makes any sense. It does. There's things in your control that you can do before you perform. Be prepared. Go through that exercise. I had my own little ritual and routine. I can't control who I am when I show up, what kind of mood I am when I show up, but there's so many things that are in my control. Focus on those, and at least then you get an adequate performance where you're in the best possible state. And then the days where you show up and you're doing amazing, those are just sugar on top. Like That's how you should approach your craft. Well, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things that are not in my control and there's nothing you can do about it, the other stuff. Acceptance. You went on a stream of consciousness odyssey that I loved, but I took a few notes as you went through it because there's a few things I wanted to address. Uh, your Ask an Expert Anything segment, it reminded me of when I used to do stand-up comedy and then I'd try to interview stand-up comedians on the radio. Someone being funny I guess the analogy here is someone, an expert having a seemingly interesting job, being a plumber, being whatever, uh, has no bearing on their kind of like willingness to play and their ability to talk. Yeah, yeah. You could have the worst comedian. You could have someone with the most boring job, an accountant, who could be fucking phenomenal on your show. And then you could have someone who like does the wildest thing. I'm trying to think of a job that would have wild experiences. Yeah. And they could just be the most boring person ever. And it's very hard to take what someone does on paper, even a comedian, and translate that to, oh, they're a good talker during interviews. Sometimes the comedians are the worst. I know. You think you're going to get gold from a comedian, and it's not like even that you want it to be like a Leno sit-down thing where clearly all of the questions are the lead-up to a punchline, right? Like you're set, like in those... Those things, the if people don't know, the guest is even pre-interviewed and the host says this and then the guest says this and it makes both of them look great and it's the, you know, a really tight segment. But, you know, with comedians, I think they th always think that, uh, you know, somebody who's interviewing wants them... To do their material. To, yeah, to do their material. But that's not true. It's also not not true. It's like, hey, give me a... Give me something that's going to make you sound. But it has to seem natural. It has to seem conversational. It can't just be 100% seeming like, oh, I switched into material mode. It, it feels awkward, forced, not that funny. But I'm not necessarily asking for that, but I'm asking for more than nothing, right? A willingness to play, a willingness to be curious about being in the moment, answering questions in the moment. That's to me what I want. But all of them, you know, just want to be interviewed about the craft and you know that sort of stuff that's all they know and learning how to be a good talker is a separate thing yeah 100 percent. it's like interviewing an athlete they just want to talk about their practice and their this and then that because that's all they know they're not necessarily going to be like an insightful person who knows about humanity occasionally you get an athlete like that but most of them are just fucking idiots who know their craft really well same is true for comedians same is true for most experts yep being a good talker is this separate skill that you, you're not sure that someone has just because on paper they should have all these great stories. An ability to tell them well, an ability, an ability to play, be curious, be funny, be weird, um, have intuition about what to say in the moment. This is all a separate skill that you have as a broadcaster that a comedian, that a plumber may or may not have or may or may not have the beginnings of you know, and so that's why it doesn't surprise me that even though a plumber has pulled 
or a proctologist. I mean, that's the gold standard for a weird person to interview. Who knows if a proctologist is going to be. Have you had a proctologist? We're trying to get one. He agreed to one. It's like close to Christmas. We're working out the time. But I, I'm not a TikTok fan. I, I can't use it. It's not, is he the TikTok proctologist? I think so. I think that's one of them. Yeah. But that's where Danny finds these people because at least, hopefully, they, they're good at this stuff. But again, just because they could polish a 30-second video to make them seem that way doesn't mean when they're interviewed, they will be that way. Okay. The other thing you would mention when you went on your, when you were talking was crying before you got to work. Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. I was just struck by that because ostensibly when I was doing that nebulous job that I both had and didn't have, the Schrodinger's job of radio jobs that I had, um, I was supposed to be the happiest I'd ever been. This was my dream job. I was doing it, blah, blah, blah. Well, you were exhausted. But I was so, because it was four hours a day, I was so physically and mentally exhausted. Plus, I had bad sleep habits. I'd get off at 4 a.m. and I'd be on my phone until 6. And then I'd get up at noon and start working again. I'd be underslept, overworked, and... I'd wake up in tears, like maybe once every two weeks. And Mar my girlfriend, Miranda, was really worried about me. And then I was just like, like, it was like out of a movie. You see this in a movie sometimes. Someone just like cries. Is it because you were exhausted or? The job was too much. And yet I was unwilling to leave it because it was what I wanted to be doing. I felt like I was on the right track. I felt like I was getting good experience, which I was. And I loved it. It was just too much of what I loved. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And, and in the last few months, my boss said, okay, you can re-roll stuff. You can re-air 30 minutes of the show at the end. So instead of a four-hour show, it's a three-and-a-half-hour show. It started becoming a little bit easier but towards the end, so less mornings with tears. But I would just wake up feeling like I had a mountain to climb every day, and I had no idea how I was going to climb it. Oh, I know that feeling, yeah. And, then, but it, and it was relentless. At midnight, the mic turns on, you know, and, and you have to do it. And it's, and then somehow you get to midnight with a show prepared. You know, it's funny though. Uh, when I was doing that show, it was so much work. And I was like, I never left the house, but there were times where I'm like, screw it. Somebody's birthday, you know, I'd go out, I'd get back at like 10 to 11, not knowing what the hell I was going to do. Cause you go on at midnight and some of those shows just worked out fine as well. Sure. But you've been in this for 30 plus years at this time. I'm in this for 30 plus weeks, you know? Yeah. So I was unwilling to do that. If I got a job like that now, I would be willing to. But yeah, it was just all of that emotional journey and then this massive relief at 4 a.m. when the show was over. Did you know what was going on? I don't, I'm not sure what that question means. Well, I mean, just like for me, when I was getting it, I guess it was anxiety or depression. Clearly it was. But I didn't know anything about anxiety. And, and so that sounds stupid, but I didn't know what anxiety felt like. I know I'd heard people talk about it, but I didn't know that what I had was that. And so I would just, there were times where I would go across the street to the bar and I would pound back two pints before I went on the air. And um, like if I was on the air at two o'clock, I would go across the street and I would, you know, pound, pound back two pints at 145 in the afternoon and uh, like that wasn't a lot that was probably a, happened a handful of times and but that was how i was dealing with this anxiety that i didn't know what the hell it was now i understand your question it's where you are in my paths diverge i've been in therapy i've seen a psychiatrist at least once a week for years at a time twice a week i'm medicated for 
like clinical anxiety. So I did know what it was in terms of that, but I think it was just emotional exhaustion. And at the beginning of the journey every morning when I woke up, when I had to start working again, it felt like, how am I going to get through the day? I'm doing what I love. I'm worried at every turn I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to do something wrong. Am I good enough to do this? Can I do this? Can I get through the day? Can I get through the night? Am I going to fuck up these interviews? Am I going to know what to say? Is a segment going to start and I'm going to get panicked because I have no idea how to get through it? And I've got 10 minutes until the next commercial. And then I do it all again. Um, I think just at the beginning of the day when I was faced with that, having been underslept from the day before, it just felt so fucking overwhelming that the response was like, you know, my body kind of rejecting it, crying a bit, and then just getting it together. And yeah, I, I don't know if it was quite anxiety, but obviously that was a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, does that answer the question? I don't know. Does answer the question. Yeah, I got to say, like, uh, everybody's like, oh, that guy cried on the air. Every time that's been, it's been like I've been kind of in that kind of groove in that, you know, I, I don't know if it's called depression or anxiety or whatever, but that's when I that's when I cry because there are other times where I'm listening where I've been in the same situation. Everybody's like, Oh, I thought you were going to cry, but I wasn't in that kind of spot where the emotional thing didn't really kind of like rip me apart. I've, I've cried on the air once, but I don't think the listeners knew. Is that because the segment didn't go well? No, uh, a caller made me cry. I had just been informed. I was going to lose the job in two weeks and this woman called and said that like she was lonely and the show kept her company. Mm. And I think we were talking about loss or something. And so she was talking about her husband died and, and cause I had just lost someone in my family and I did a segment about like the positive things about the people we've lost. And she just really simply thanked us for being on the air and keeping her company. And I just started to, cry and i just let her talk i kind of choked up a bit and went to the next call and that is pretty powerful mm -hmm. yeah how much did you pay that person to call in yeah it was three hundred dollars a lot of money, <laughs> money, made for money. <laughs> okay there's two things i want to talk to you before you go because i want to be respectful of your time we've been here about an hour first of all thank you for giving me a chance letting me be on air being uh on my side being my advocate giving me advice i looked up to you i sorry i don't know i said that in past tense I now look down on you. <laughs> well, you look up to everybody. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I do not. Well, what are you, 5'5"? Five, five? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> no, just thanks for... I was probably hard to work with at first. My friends joke around saying I give off terrible first impressions. So who? Like, you're always, like, chatting with the waitress and stuff like that? That sort of thing? Oh, like strangers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I talk to strangers. That's I mean, like friends, like people where I'm actually meeting them and it's not just a rando that I'm talking to. I do talk to everyone on the street. It's a problem. And always Miranda a lot. So, yeah, just thanks for for working with me for I used your show's name. And that's like your name, Showgram. I didn't want to use your name. I was forced to use your show. But I like I was kind of like stealing your brand. And the same time you were like supporting me to do the show. It was just, I was a lot. I'm a lot being supportive of me through that year where I worked for Bell was. It was none of any of that. I'm just saying I appreciate it. Okay. And I'm saying, I'm saying I'm grateful. Last thing. I want to go to Marfa, Texas with you and George, Papa Stromba, Dapa, Hamba, Fapa, 
Suvlakiopolis or whatever. This is a small artist town in the middle of Texas. It takes like 10 hours to get there by car. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. There's two radio stations. It's just a weird little town where there's an art school and there's maybe like a thousand people. And it's like a very strange place. And there's two very strange radio stations. And George and I at Burning Man were talking about going. And I said, we should bring Jim. And I would like to plan it in the new year. And I'm just putting that out there. Both of you are busy. Both of you are probably going to say no, but I would like to make it happen. Yeah. No, I like the idea. That's it. Those are the two things. Those are great two things. Do you hate what we've done here today? No, not at all. Do you feel like there's anything of artistic, creative substance in this? Uh, yeah. No, I know. I thought it was fun. I thought you'd be funnier, though, to be honest <laughs> with you. I, uh, I thought we were going to be joking and not necessarily be talking about serious kind of stuff, but maybe you'll have me on again. And uh, we'll wait again for you to be funny. No, you're funny, David. I just, yeah, I couldn't think of much funny, stupid shit to do. I, I did want to get serious with you. There's things I wanted to say to you, Jim. Did you ever think of putting your show on YouTube? Is it on YouTube? No, I should. I should start. I should start. Because I don't record the video stream, So, but I should. That's what everyone tells me. Yeah, well, I'm glad I put a shirt on. I almost <laughs> didn't have a shirt on for the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I could take my shirt off. Wearing a sweater. I, oh, and no shirt underneath it? No, it's itchy. What about the BO? I don't know. It's a new sweater. I have just had a shower. I put some deodorant on. All right. Now you're going to have deodorant stained in an outer garment. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. All right. How does this end? Is there a song? <laughs> there will be. I'm not going to play it right now. I'll cut it with a song, but yes. This is the one that that guy made for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great song, huh? Yeah, it is great. Yeah. Do you want to set up the song and then the episode will just end and it will play? Oh, here's the song. You've been listening to David Cooper. No, you've been listening to This Is Going Well, I think, with David Cooper. <laughs>